and welcome back, Wayward Ones, for the season finale of Housecraft the Witching Hour. We are so excited for today's episode. We've been doing a patron deity series for a little while now. It's been really fun, really exciting season, and we've got to learn so much from China to Egypt to Greece and then some. But for today, we had to do something a little bit special. So when we were coming up with our topic for today's episode, we realized that not all major witchy influences are goddesses. Some may have been, but were brought down to mortal realms. And others are practicing witches that inspired everyone around them. And what better time than now to really explore some of those influences and their awesome, fascinating stories behind them. So, like always for our season finales, joining me today is my sister, friend, and co-host of 50 States of Terror, Mrs. Kaylee Diaz. Hello, how are you? Good. I always love it when you get to come on and play with us. I love the opportunity to kind of like flex my my history and lore knowledge a little bit differently. I love talking about cryptids and monsters, and that's definitely what we're doing on 50 States of Terror, but I like also kind of dipping over into the witchy content. So thank you again for having me. I got a lot of research done. I learned a lot and I'm excited to share it with everybody. Yeah. I mean, monsters, witchcraft, they kind of go hand in hand sometimes. They, they really do. <laughs> and uh, we're going to see a, maybe a little bit of that. So. Oh yeah. I always love when we can cross over and kind of like bring our knowledge together. You definitely yeah. bring the history and lore and I bring the, <laughs> the more witchy side of things. <laughs> right. You bring the fun. I know I can be the stuffy sister. It's okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but since you said it. <laughs> no, we'll go with it. Yes. Also, we brought on an extra special guest today. Another witchy influences. Another witchy influence. Man, this it's red. The, it's those live jitters. Wrong. <laughs> it's okay. If we get it all out in the beginning, then the rest of the episode is just going to be smooth. Cake. True that. Cake. Well, you may recognize her from her clothing line, the Ghoulish Garb, or as the lead singer of the symphonic heavy metal group Chakora. I think I said that right. We have actress, vocalist, and spooky entrepreneur, Miss Shanna Stoker, with us today. Hello. Hello. Hi, we are Thank so you so excited. much. I am so excited to be here. I'm very, very grateful that you're having me on for this. This is so much fun. Yes. Um, okay. So before we get started, we're just going to hit the elephant in the room before we get too far. It's like how <laughs> I found out about you in the first place. I've always been a big fan. I'm sure you've never heard this pun before, but I'm stoked about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see myself out. Um, She's dying no, inside. Just I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've literally made the hashtag with a friend of mine stoked for Stoker before, so you're fine. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but you have a very famous relative. I do. I do. I am actually related to Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula. Yes, which is actually one like one of my all time favorite books. It's all over my house in some various oh. ways. <laughs> I love it really that. Is. It really, it really, really is. Haley <laughs> <laughs> walks in and she's like, "Are you serious? Like more skulls? What are we doing?" <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me, though. Honestly, you two were talking about your influences and how you know uh, you, Kaylee, are more of the history and the lore, and then you, Lou, have more of the you know the the actual witchcraft background, and then all the spooky interests. And I have a degree in history. I've always been interested in. The spooky and of course I'm also a practicing witch so I'm very excited to be able to talk with both of you about all of these things tonight maybe she I really is one of our long lost sisters <laughs> she might be maybe we're you, really, yeah we could be yeah. really okay we'll get into that we'll get to it later okay. 
<laughs> I would Wait be on. I would be stoked for Stoker if that were the case, but <laughs> oh, we can I, I'll digress. <laughs> yeah, why don't you tell I love it. I love that you've turned this whole spookiness into your own flourishing business. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on? So, of course, I do own I co-own the Ghoulish Garb. We've been in business now for four years, I think. <laughs> and we have, uh, so we do, we sell clothing, but our, our biggest kind of claim to fame is our Terror Tarot Major Arcana deck, all of which uh, those designs you can find on our tapestries and clothing and things like that. And we are going to be working on the minor Arcana for that deck within the next couple of years, but we are a completely independent company. So it takes a while for us. <laughs> um, right now though, of course, we've been working on our tarot deck that is yet to be named, but it is another major arcana deck, and it's fully focused on feminine figures within witchcraft, mostly goddesses and deities, but also some wonderful, beautiful witches and sorceresses that we know of from lore and from actual real life. Um, and so that's kind of how we started getting talking about this this episode, wasn't it? I believe whenever you mentioned you were doing a deity series, I was so excited because I love this this collection we've been working on of goddesses. And I've learned so, so much about them just through the research for the cards, because we really want to make sure that we honor them and honor the people who actually patronize them as well as you know making sure that they do fit within the the tarot deck parameters and so it's been really really fun and I cannot wait to go deep diving into those things with you as well tonight <laughs> yeah I was so excited I couldn't think of what to ask you about I've listened to you on a couple of different podcasts I followed you online and I was just like man I want to find something really cool that we can get into that kind of like lets her explore that and so I was really excited when you said that you had a few deity and inspirations. Now, in this case, they're not per se deities, but they're definitely among those lines, inspirations. Yeah. And I think they've been elevated, as you said, to the status for a lot of practicing witches of deities, you know, of, of almost like a patron saint in a way. And that's something that's really, really cool to see the more that I do the research and, and talk to other witches who practice with them to see that their devotion is just the same as, as others for Hecate or for, you know, Hera. Exactly. <laughs> so. But now, in regards to that, I know Kaylee and I both have different ways we kind of approach deities too. Do you use patron deities in your practice? I don't. It's just, you know, I, I fully believe that deities, there's this kind of belief for me that if, if I'm called to, to work with one, I'll, I'll know it. And so far, I just always kind of felt more comfortable working with what I call the source, you call it God, whatever you want to call it, but just kind of the idea of this universal this universal divinity that is within all of us and that surrounds all of us. So for me, I kind of see all those beautiful deities as, as facets on, on a diamond of, of, of the source. And so I think it's beautiful if you want to focus in on one of those facets or five of those facets. For me, though, I've never been called to. Um, but yeah, I'm not against it. I just haven't felt that yet. I totally vibe with that. Um, so I that's part of why I did the patron deity series in the first place was I actually don't use any deities in my practice either. Mm. I love learning about them. I think there's so much you can take away from their stories. There's so much inspiration to be had for it, but I don't actually use them in my practice either, which also made me excited because I'm like, yay, we're on the same page with that one. Yeah, that's <laughs> and great. Kaylee just loves to read. So hey, I do love to read. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay, full disclosure, if anybody's joining for the first time, I am not witchy. I don't believe in anything of any variety. I don't believe in big but even though I have a cryptid podcast, I don't believe I um, necessarily <laughs> in anything. But I think, I mean, and I've mentioned it a few times, 
I think there's so much magic in what I perceive and what I believe is is real. I mean, Fibonacci sequence is always like the first thing mm-hmm. I throw out. Like it is so beautiful and it is so magical. I don't necessarily feel the desire or the need or divine pull to to find those things. But at the same time, like especially with um, the the figure that I'm going to be covering today, you know, I probably wouldn't be opposed to like maybe you know having a little picture of her somewhere or you know, having some kind of representation, because I do believe in the psychology of when people are practicing. I believe in putting that energy somewhere, just maybe not in the same way that maybe people who are more witchy would be like, oh, this is my energy. I'm like, yeah, you put that out there, you're more likely to get something back. So kind of finding that like, oh, what would so-and-so do? You know, my, my lady today, she would do some crazy stuff to get what she wants and I'm about it. And so if I need to start asking myself, like, what would she do in a situation to get my promotion, to get what I want, to to do the things I need to do, then I think it's similar, maybe not the same, but I think it's similar as people who have an altar dedicated or have a divine attachment. I will say, honestly, that does sound very much like my practice. I think a lot of people, you know, and this is, there's, I was like this. I think everybody who who ends up practicing witchcraft is like this. There's so many misconceptions about, you know, this, and there's this feeling of, well, I'm not doing it this way. So it's not witchcraft. Right. But I, I think that that comes from, you know, so many baby witches who (laughs) want to tell the world and and are so excited, but then also start gatekeeping without realizing it. And the truth is, I mean, sometimes the only magic or witchcraft I'll do in the day is, you know, stirring my cup of coffee in the morning and setting intentions. That is what I was just going to say. (laughs) So you know what I mean? Like it really is all about energy. So if you're, if you are working on your energy, that's witchcraft, you know, (laughs) it's like the the parameters are low. It's just what you do with it and whether Mm -hmm. or not you feel comfortable calling it witchcraft and if for some people that's not their bag man you know so right. it's like they're not they're not interested in calling it that because it is psychological and if that's if that's not stimulating that point in your in your brain or in your your psyche mm-hmm. that helps you open up emotionally and, and and energetically then I totally understand that yeah like for me like almost with like the setting of intentions I wanted to start working on like a personal thing for me and I'm really apologetic I will apologize for apologizing like apology on apology on apology on waffles like it's all the time so instead <laughs> of saying I'm sorry I made like a very clear like intent that in saying like oh I'm sorry I'm running late it became thank you for waiting yes and then that kind of started to snowball into other things or um in work when I write emails I'm like how would a middle-aged white man write this would he apologize no okay we're gonna take would that he say just oh, no he wouldn't say just I was just thinking no <laughs> yes, we're not doing that I was thinking I, this I is have how to it's do that all the time or <laughs> sorry <laughs> for the inconvenience now it's no. thank you for your patience mm-hmm. yes. exactly and that so also take I mean and that helps the other person too like that helps the energy of the entire conversation exactly. because now you're not putting them in the position of oh it's okay and now I'm having to think about how you inconvenienced me it's wow I am so generous and kind to not mm-hmm. have made a big deal about you being late you're right awesome exactly. you know it just changes the whole interaction and I and I think that's that is so important I saw somebody else on on TikTok recently, who was saying, you know, even as much as when you're laughing at something really funny and you like, don't say I'm weak, say, or like, I'm dead, say like, oh my gosh, that was hilarious. Or you're so funny or something, Mm -hmm. you know, even, even Mm -hmm. those little moments that can, you know, like you said, snowball and change your entire perception and the energy that you're putting out every day. Exactly. 
it's all about intention. Like <laughs> everything kind of comes back to intention. Yeah. And that's definitely why I love deities in general, just reading about them, learning about them. Do I believe that someone in a golden chariot is going to come down and take me away? No. Probably. Do I like oh. to think about it? Yeah. I do. Probably. <laughs> Probably. See, and that's my thing too, is like, I think it's also important to like, when you, we are talking about these energies and these deities, I'm kind of with you on that. Like I've never felt, like I said, I just, I just don't really, yeah, I don't feel like there's going to be a deity that's like coming out of the sky and being like, Hey, I want to work with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, but I do believe in the collective energy that their name may have because of all of the people who worship them. I may, you know, or the collective energy that their, um, picture might have for me because of what I associate with them and all of those things. So like, I think it goes back to what Kaylee was saying. It's really about, you know, not necessarily, do you believe this person is going to come and reach out to you directly, but what does this person or their image do for my energy when I look at them or hear their name? Exactly. Definitely. And I, th I think that's really prudent with, uh, with the women we're going to be discussing today because they don't actually have a deity status because we're not saying that they are born of this God or this is their bloodline. We're saying that one, one we're talking about is, is a fictional legend and then one is a flesh and blood woman. But when you set that intention that you're going to be pulling power from them or you're going to be pulling inspiration from them, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're a goddess. It doesn't matter if they are flesh and blood. If you can take something that benefits your life and your, you know, your practice, then we give you permission to use them. And I yeah. think that when I see a lot of like young people in our, in our wayward group, so we have a, a group entirely for women and men to come together they can talk, like have their questions. And sometimes we do see a lot of influx where it's like, oh, who should I be? Who should I have on my altar? Who should I be mm -hmm. looking to? Whoever you want. It doesn't it's matter. It's so personal. You it's personal. And if I tell you who you. works for me and mm -hmm. you put that person on your altar, that's not going to do anything besides remind you that it works for me. You uh -huh. know? <laughs> like, right. So yeah, it really is. It's a personal journey to figure out what works for you, what calls to you. And whether that be a deity or, or your best friend or, you know, just focusing your love and your energy on something positive, um, on any positive, like, person or identity, it, mm -hmm. it, it can be a really beautiful way to practice your work. Yeah. Like, I've never connected with the goddess, but we did an episode on Bast, Egyptian Bast. And every once in a while, when my cats are being psychos, which they probably will during this at some point in time, I'm like, excuse me, Bass, can you please stop? I'm trying to have a conversation. I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's like my one, like, I'll apply it where it fits, where I feel good about it. And then I just kind of draw, draw back to that. Like, oh, my cats are divine. Divine jerks, but divine. <laughs> I feel something. that. I, I have cats as well, and I love them to my core. So I get that. <laughs> Definitely. I'm so excited to get into this. Because we're taking a different way from the goddesses. So when I approached you about doing the series for today, I asked you what what figures would speak to you the most to speak to today. Do you want to introduce your first choice? Yes, of course. Um, this is something that I didn't share with you, but my middle name is actually similar. Well, it's the same. Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Shanna Morgan Stoker. And so one of my first deities that I, well, deities, I say, I, I elevate her to the status because I think she's incredible, is Morgan Le Fay from Arthurian Legend. Absolutely. Before the days of Arthur, before the knights of the round table, before a sword was ever pulled from the stone, 
an ancient power dwelled, the queen of the land of the fairy. She's known by many names and deeds, and she's often confused for Nimue or Vivienne. But who is this ethereal creature that we know today commonly as Morgan Le Fay? In witchcraft, she's known as a multidimensional being, bringing either beneficial or dangerous characteristics to those who follow her. In literature, she's stripped of her powers and cast into the realm of mortals. No matter where you know her from or which legend speaks to you, it's undeniable that Morgana or Morgan Le Fay, in the words of Oscar Wilde, is nothing less than full of magic. Right, so do we want to hop right into Morgan then? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of stunned from the gorgeous video work, but have I? It was gorgeous. Really? Was that you? Oh my god! It was. Okay, so I am going to I'm going to take us through a little bit of Morgan, and then we're going to kind of like open the discussion. And um, there's just some things I want to make sure we get out of the way first, so that way we can, you know, we might know about it, but maybe our our viewers and our listeners don't. So I'm going to get this all pulled up because I'm professional. And <laughs> all right, let's go. Now, Morgan, Morgana, Morgan Le Fay, these are all going to be referring to the same person. So I grew up with her being referred to as Morgana. And I just want to be sure that I note that in case I use both of them like interchangeably, I'm referring to the same person. So if you're already acquainted with Miss Le Fay, you might be surprised at some of the things we discussed today because the versions may not be the same. It doesn't mean that either one of us are wrong. It's just in the game of telephone regarding legend, a lot of lines do get crossed. So disclaimer, if you've ever listened to me before, you know that I love sidebars and tangents that lead down stray paths. And I promise I'm going to stay on topic today. So I'm going to tease you with some information and I do encourage you to go look into some of those paths on your own. And, you know, who knows if you decide you want to hear more, you can definitely let us know and maybe we'll flesh it out in a future episode. But we're going to start with her history and lore and how it's changed with each iteration of the retelling of the story of the boy who would someday be king, King Arthur. There are so many facets to what represent Morgana. I wouldn't be able to squeeze it all in. So I'm going to condense it down and I'm going to tell you a bit a little bit about who she is, who she isn't and even a little bit about who she could be. So I will also tell you who I think would best benefit from using her um, on, you know, as a patron goddess or on their altar. But of course, like we said, that is completely up to you. So use it at your discretion. So the original stories of Morgana were oral tradition. Their first documented accounts were penned in the year 1150. It's not very often I get to tell stories that are quite this old. Um, so it's, Nerd, nerdy exciting for me but in 1150 <laughs> Vita Merlini was put on paper and that literally means the life of Merlin and it was written in a similar style to the Iliad and the Odyssey it's called a hexameter there are six beats per line this specific poem had over 15,000 lines in it that is a lot of writing <laughs> but in this one she's referred referred to as Morgan and it's spelled a little bit differently so it's not definitely not her final form she is one of nine sisters who tend to Arthur in the kingdom of Avalon. They're also referred to as nymphs, and they have like very virginal standing. They each possess <laughs> magical. Yeah, we know that. It's not going to say that. Right? 
Um, she's you known- even say it with a straight face. <laughs> I, I tried. I tried so hard. I was like looking at the word. I'm like, <clears throat> virginal. <laughs> she was the eldest of the nine. She was the most beautiful and wise, and she is the queen of Avalon. It would be many years until her story became more of what we know her to be. And at this point, you might be wondering, she's not a goddess. She's a queen. And you wouldn't be wrong, but we already covered that. So I can take that part out of my notes and we can keep going on. So her name is Morgan Le Fay. Now, I want to go ahead and say that it's pretty common that people think that Le Fay means of the fae, of the fairy. But this is actually a pretty common thing that people would use in the time period just to indicate that she had some sort of innate magic. Doesn't 100% mean she's a fairy, but some of the stories do lend that she does go to the realm of the fae. So in the 13th century, there is a massive retelling in the continuation of the Arthurian legends. This is more of the base source of what we use for modern adapt- adaptions, adaptations. <laughs> that go. was the word I tried for. All right. She lived what could be a pretty described pretty easily described as happy life. She and her three elder sisters and their mother and their father. We're going to tell the PG version of this because I don't have a content warning for this episode, but a neighboring king really liked her mom, like really liked her mom. So he came in and decided that he wanted to move in with her. So he eliminated the competition, Morgan's father, and decided that he needed to, you know, get rid of the kids. It reminded him so much of the man that, you know, used to be there. And he married off the two older sisters and sent Morgan to a nunnery, which just makes me think of like the get thee to a nunnery. I was (laughs) thinking the same thing. (laughs) Thank you for saying it. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes and he marries the two older sisters off, marries Morgan or not marries Morgan. I just clicked my notes wrong. And now I'm just going to like just get rid of them. It's fine. Off to the nunnery. <laughs> Off to the nunnery. Now, the nunnery is an interesting place where the story starts to shift between the different editions. Right? So, this one is when I want to go to a nunnery. I want to go Morgan Le Fay style. I want to go to this <laughs> nunnery specifically. This is where she learns necromancy. This is where she starts to learn all of her base major magic. Now, in some versions, she doesn't learn it here. She ends up learning it later from Merlin or from other sources. But I just really like the idea of going and hanging out with nuns and learning necromancy. I also like the idea of her magic not becoming, uh, not coming from a source of, like, you know, a man. Exactly. <laughs> but like a group of women, like a coven of nuns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? We're definitely, we're definitely going to talk about that because when she starts to come into her power, um, I prefer the version where she has an innate power. She is born with it and she learns mm-hmm. to harness it, where she learns yeah. to take control of it, but not necessarily like, oh, this guy with a book like taught me this one thing. It was like super cool. Not my favorite rendition of her. <laughs> um, so <laughs> every once in a while, I'm like, why would you give the sword away? I'm oh, <laughs> we'll talk about the sheath too, because that was a big one. Yeah, but um, so she's learning things there. We're going to skip a lot of uh, the history because she and Arthur lead very, very separate lives. They end up coming back together later. So often people who are unfamiliar with the legends intimately do confuse Morgan Le Fay for the Lady in the Lake. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure that I point out because I've seen it in a lot of different pages as I'm doing my research. The Lady of the Lake is Nimue. She's a completely different person. She's almost closer to the original Morgan in the 11th century 
who's the nymph and the virginal and the sweet watery tart. And <laughs> if you're a Monty Python fan, yes, like, you're going so exactly. on it right now with tart and nunneries. I'm living. No, yes, but so. some watery tart. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, I strange exactly. women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. It had to be in here at least once. <laughs> Thank you. So um, at, when she comes back, so that's where we're at. We're at 13th century. She's coming back into the story. She and Arthur are becoming close and then they're not. And then he gets married and then they're bad again. It's a very tumultuous back and forth relationship. But from the moment she appears in these legends at this point in time, her archetype is completely different. She's no longer virginal and healing and only using her powers for good as she was bound to do in Avalon before. Um, this is the woman that we want to be. So <laughs> I say that with also saying she was jealous. She was possessive, but she fights tooth and nail for the power that is rightfully hers. Yes, queen. So this becomes the common theme. And this is actually starting to spread all across Europe. So these different authors that may not have any association with each other are now writing about her. She even shows up in a story about the Trojan War where she shows up and like gives Hector a horse and then it just is like spurred by him and just runs away and she wants nothing to do with him again. So we're seeing this all across the board. And this starts to lead people into wondering, maybe she is a goddess. So while we say she's not, there are a lot of theories and some of them are deriving that she is the Irish goddess, the Morrigan. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear. We yeah. are not saying that she is the Morrigan. Yeah. The Morrigan is a triple goddess. So she represents the maiden mother crone. Mm -hmm. And they do have a lot of similarities, like mm -hmm. a lot. Their husbands are the same name or have the same name. They have a child with the same name. However, nothing else is really lining up. And the etymology of their names themselves come from different root words so we're not saying that they're the same but what i think is happening is that they are deriving from the same original goddess story which would be and i might say it wrong because i did not listen to a pronunciation and i only speak english uh i have the dia matrona and she is a mother goddess and mm -hmm. if, when we start looking at the parallels of all these other morgan morgan morgans morganes they're all popping up about the same time in this oral tradition but they're not the same person. They're all reflecting this one mother goddess, which we've seen happen in other, other societies and other legend yeah. bases. So I'm going to leave that to you. You can look it up if you want to. Um, they're all very interesting. They're all very cool, but I promise to stay on topic. So that's all I'm talking about <laughs> there. But it's a patron deity series. So henceforth, I will be referring to as a goddess because that's what we're talking about. And you can't convince me otherwise. And I mean, she seems pretty goddess-like. I mean, she's magical and she's beautiful. She can be a goddess. The mystery alone. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, I think it's totally, it warrants that, that word. Exactly. <laughs> so um, this is the moment where I, I really want to kind of revisit something that I said. If you need permission to have someone on your altar that is not officially a goddess, this is your permission. With all the power vested in me, given to me by nobody but myself, you have permission to put whoever on your altar. If you want to put Betty White on there because she makes you feel like a yes. badass, put Betty White on your altar, okay? I have Trixie okay. Mattel on mine. 
I would not even see. I love that. And I want to, I just want to reiterate into this. Like, I don't know where y'all are from, but I'm from Mobile, Alabama. So I'm like two hours from New Orleans, grew up going there a lot. And everywhere that you go in New Orleans, there are altars. And on every altar, even if it's for specifically Marie Laveau, even if it's for somebody else, there are pictures of other beloved figures. And like I said, Yes, it could be it could be Dolly, it could be Betty White, it could be whomever you want. And like, you know, it could be your best friend. It's just about who inspires you and that energy within you. And who do you aspire to be more like? That's all that means. Exactly. I, I feel like Morgan Le Fay would really approve of that message. Oh yeah. yeah I, <laughs> like, I agree. I feel like that's I right up like, her alley. Yeah, put mm-hmm. me on your altar. I'm powerful yeah. and amazing, and so are you. And I mean, so let's talk about what are things that Morgan Le Fay could bring to you and your practice by being on your altar. So specifically, her biggest ability in across all of the legends is her shape-shifting ability. She is neither one thing or the other. She is both, but she is neither. She is always in a state of change, and she is always trying to get herself into that position of power. So she is forever the in-between. So she would be a god. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Lou. No, you're good. I just um, earlier you were talking about how we see different pantheons kind of display that same sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's a lot where the Morgan and Morgan get confused as the yeah. triple goddess Hecate. Mm-hmm. Um, they all kind of have that same sort of baseline of shape shifting. Yeah. And you see that kind of transfer to, through different pantheons. And a lot of the goddesses that she gets confused with have that same ability. Exactly. Because yeah. yeah. Morgan, I believe, can shape shift into or like a raven, or she's known to, to shape shift mm-hmm. into like a raven or a crow. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, we used her for our death card in the same uh, collection that we're talking about today with, with Morgan Le Fay and the other one that we're working yes. on. Yes. Yeah. They do, they both are associated with crows. And that's going to be mm-hmm. in kind of something we talk about with uh, with offerings that you can give her if that's part of your practice. So if you're, if you're using Morgan Le Fay, she's not a goddess that would demand that you follow her like if you go really literal into it because some of you know some of our listeners do she's not going to want to be in the driver's seat she's going to want to get you in the driver's seat and make you drive and see that's what i like about her i'm so sorry Mm -hmm. to interrupt no you're good (laughs) you're our guest we want to hear you talk we just talk a lot I love that though. No, but I'm so glad that you mentioned that Kaylee, because that's why I love her so much. And that's why, you know, just talking with you so far about now, I'm wondering if this was, this was her being like, Hey, Hey, maybe because I'm not kidding. I I haven't felt that pull, even though I do, I've always felt a connection with Morgan Le Fay. I mean, ever since I was in elementary school, I would, I just, we had the same name and she was a witch. So of course I was Mm -hmm. interested. Um, And so, but yeah, I mean, she, she's, she would totally be, even though she was so dedicated to finding her power, she would, that's precisely what she wants for you or what she would want for you. In my opinion Mm -hmm. is to help you find your power. And that's beautiful because I think that's one of the reasons I haven't really been called to a deity because I don't feel the need to follow. Um, (laughs) I feel very much like I want to be in the driver's seat and I want to know my own power and harness my own abilities. And, and I think that's, um, that's a beautiful way to look at Morgan Le Fay. Well, just all of like the variances of her legends are basically, no matter whether you start with her viewing her as like a nymph, whether you move into the Arthurian legend versions of Morgan Le Fay, even if you want to go T.H. White, Once and Future King, they're all very different versions. But in every single one of them, she claims her power and someone mm-hmm. tries to take it from her and she goes, nah, no. Nah. Yeah. And then I she think, asserts herself. 
Yeah, I think Morgana is, she's definitely known for her darker powers. And I know Lou and I had a little bit of a conversation about it because I know it can be kind of a touchy topic for people who are new to practicing or, I mean, even some of the ones that have been practicing for years. She, to me, definitely strikes as more of like the shadow kind of goddess. And I don't want shadow to automatically be labeled as something that would be black magic or Mm -hmm. dark magic, because what we're seeing especially in the time period, if you look at what is happening in, you know, the British Isle at this point, uh, we've got a lot of Christianity moving in. And what did they hate more than anything at this point? They hated witches. They hated women with power. I was just going to say women. (laughs) Oh, just women in general. Yeah. But every time we see uh, Morgan in today's, I mean, even look at Merlin, like the, the recent like BBC or kind of recent BBC show, every time Morgana is on the screen, She's too much of something. Mm-hmm. She is too sexual. She's too powerful. She's too angry. And I know we recently had like a, a, a kind of political like Minerva episode, but I think Morgan would be right there too saying, look at all the things they don't want you to be. Mm-hmm. And that is really like what she's bringing. So I think if someone is going through a transitional period in their life, I think that Morgan would be a good choice for you because there is a power that is inside of you, even like not as a non-witchy person, like I am still bringing this information. There is a power to you and you, there is an ability to you that you might be scared to even whisper. Like she's the one that can steady your voice. She is the one that can kind of embrace those darker parts of you, whether or not those are evil, like let's not be evil for evil's sake, yeah. but no, but dark there, bits, yeah, like, th- so there is something out. to be said about doing that sort of, I know it's touchy, but I don't care because I do it all the time. <laughs> Um, is there is something to be said about doing that sort of shadow work. And Morgan is really good to like, look at for that, Mm -hmm. Witchy or not witchy. I mean, if you break down what shadow work is, essentially, Carl Jung talks about the eight different facets of personality. Mm -hmm. And one of them is your shadow self. And that's the the repressed parts of yourself that you put aside. Mm -hmm. Like say someone says, you're too talkative. And after a while, you're like, man, I just talk too much. And you start kind of building, you push it down, you start changing your behaviors when you can reunite when you can assess and process and then reunite that side of yourself with your conscious self it changes the entire plane of your existence and i think morgan lefay and her rise to power how she claimed her power is a really good example of like facing the darkness that she had to within herself to rise to her power in the story you were talking about earlier before she even goes to the nunnery she has some pretty nasty encounters I imagine there was some shadow stuff in there. (laughs) And Mm, I imagine that in accessing those powers in order to have that higher realm of, of magic, she had to, to assess that part of herself and then reunite both sides to be whole. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a really good point uh, to to mention as well as that that transitionary period because you're right you know it's important and I think so many people don't want to face this reality because it's so difficult but shadow work is so important because like you said those like Carl Jung said we have those different levels of our those different facets of our personality and and you know I ultimately hope to become more in tune with my higher self. So I've got, you know, we've got our shadow self, our ego self, our, and then our higher consciousness, which I believe is, is part of like our soul memory and our, and our actual souls that live on. Um, And so I think that it's really important to, to remember that maybe she is better suited for that first, for that first period of that shadow work 
and then moving into those higher self, uh, the perception of like the, the higher than the ego self, maybe another deity might be a little bit better for, for that progression, but she is, she is the epitome of, of facing your, your dark side and finding your power within it. Um, but like you said, not in an evil way, but <laughs> saying, you know, maybe all of these things, all of these voices in my head that have been talking to me and telling me I'm too much for all of these years, which I don't know any woman who hasn't had those voices yeah. constantly around her. And I think that regardless of gender, we've all been there. Um, but since we are talking about the feminine here uh, and we are all, all, you know, uh, I believe we all are women <laughs> here. Well, and so, I'll, I'll go on the record just to interrupt you for just a second, because we are very uh, all women and yeah. we do include trans women when we say yes, all women. 100%. So I just want to be clear if there's anybody that's on the page that has questions about that. We are we are all women. You know, all women we are pro. women. We're about we that. pro. Happy Pride Month, y'all. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Holly, so, I hope that, sorry, I saw Holly's question pop up earlier about how she honors hell and Marie Laveau. I can and it up real she, fast. Yeah. Um, just because I think that's relevant to what we're talking about right now. Um, but she doesn't give up her power. You thank them afterwards, but you don't give up your power. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you've offended them either. I think they'd be like, go off, queen. Like, that's the whole point. Like, yeah. I don't think they'd want to. I think that's part of like, like you were talking about connecting to that higher self, connecting to the universe afterward, like once you've met those those basic standards of finding your shadow self, finding your ego, finding your anima, mm-hmm. and you can put them all together, why would you give up your power? Exactly. And that. I think that, yeah, I think if we, if we, if we look at them more as almost like a, like a friend, like somebody who's there to help your practice and to help you grow, they're not, you know, if I personally, if I felt like a deity was asking me for a full, you know, you have to follow everything that you believe is a sign for me and then no I would think that's a little suspicious uh so maybe you're not the right deity for me because I've got way too much of my own stuff happening to be able to do that so (laughs) okay so terrible story time terrible Terrible story time okay I tried it'll be a short tangent we both like to tangent um (laughs) so I tried to do some deity practice in the past because I'm like maybe that maybe I just have to feel it out like you know you never know till you try um, and so I put like a cup of wine out and I'm doing like my little altar. I'm doing some incense. I got some candles going. I'm really into it. And I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, man, I could go for a glass of wine. Right. And, totally drink it. <laughs> and I See, think she could prove. But the thing is, <laughs> yes, because ultimately what I believe, and this is not going to be for everybody, but this is strictly for me, for Shanna Stoker. I believe in the divinity that lies within us all. And that is for me, God. So I, I believe that, you know, we don't need necessarily an altar. You don't need a church, if you will, to church. you don't need a temple. You don't need any of those things. Like you don't need a meditation room. You don't need those things. It's within you. And I think if you, if you can start realizing or allowing yourself, you know, put your own picture on your altar. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a self-serving I way. I don't mean that like that, but I mean, in a way to say like, who is it that I aspire to be? Who do I inspire myself to be when those thoughts and those words aren't in my head telling me I'm less than? Who do I know I can be? And now let me put that energy into becoming her and to thriving with that in mind. And I, I think that's something that we can do more of every single day. When you look in the mirror, take that as a, as a moment to just thank 
the universe or thank your deity or thank yourself for your strength and for persevering, for being here today and getting out of bed, whatever it is. I mean, that can be your devotional for the day is just standing in the mirror and, and, and thanking your own essence, your own body, your higher self for getting you through your, your, you know, that conscious conscience voice of, of that, what I believe your higher self is. And, and that shadow self that helped you when you needed to repress those things to survive and the ego self now that is strong enough to help you pull out of that, you know, it's all part of the one. And if we take the time to really appreciate that and, and point it out and see how it's all working for us, I think that's a beautiful way to feel that power within you grow. I love okay. That. So I'm going to make an altar. I'm going to put a picture of myself. I'm going to put a picture of Morgan Le Fay. Dolly Parton and Evie, the librarian from The Mummy, and that's going to yes. be my devotion area. I love that. I love that. So you if, would. Uh, I would. Oh my gosh! All the confusion from watching The Mummy as a child. Um, so I just want to end <laughs> off that discussion for Morgan because we're about to move on to Marie. So if someone does want to have an area for uh, Morgan Le Fay, so here are some things that I found that are associated with her. Because she's not going to be in every goddess book. You know, when you pick up the ones that you like, you picked up at the mall in the 90s. Like, it was all the Celtic <laughs> goddesses. It was the Egyptian goddesses. She's not going to be in there. And that's that's okay. But if you were the kind that needs kind of that physical representation, uh, some things I suggest. First of all, the girl likes apples. Avalon literally is the Isle of Apples. So if you are the kind that likes to leave uh, food and drink offerings, apples are good a great place to start also avalon is the land of mist so you don't need the wine that lou would drink off the altar you can just leave some water uh it doesn't have to be brita filtered it can just be water the intention <laughs> is really setting the tone there um if you are into crystals i would lean towards crystals that are going to be like those misty colors those lighter blues those light purples she also has a very dark like underworld kind of tone to her so she is represented by the crow. If you have any figurines or feathers that are legally sourced, let me say that clearly. Do not go take some feathers and get caught doing bad stuff. Thank okay. you. Just want to cover that. Um, so you can leave feathers. You can leave things like those. Uh, so waters, waters, water, apples. Uh, she is commonly associated as a moon goddess. So if you want to incorporate those in your rituals as well, that is definitely all in her wheelhouse. All right. Well, I, I think that is actually the perfect time to, because I feel like this me. really leans into like the next one. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that's like, okay, get your power. And this next girl's like, girl, I got it. Right. <laughs> so, Shanna, you picked this one too. Do you want to lead it off? Absolutely. So this is one, like I said, I grew up going to New Orleans. I love New Orleans. And Marie Laveau has played a major part in what I've learned for, from witchcraft just since I started practicing since I was what, 15. So Marie Laveau is our next beautiful character. Those familiar with the art of voodoo know well the secrets of these practices are held close often passed from one practitioner to the next through oral tradition. But one woman surpassed the privacy of the practice to lay claim to the title of Queen of Voodoo. While not a deity, she was a sorceress of great power whose name and history are shrouded in legend and lore. 
The world of white men shrunk back in fear and dismissed her practices as evil black magic. But the New Orleans black community cherished her as a healer and an herbalist, combined the beliefs of the New World with traditional African belief systems. Even a century after her death, her grave was often visited by many a soul in need, seeking her guidance. But who was the woman behind the legend that is Marie Laveau? So these characters were so complex, Kaylee and I split both sides so we could kind of do them both a little justice. So I took Marie Laveau and oh my goodness, <laughs> you hear about her and her name, you just think voodoo and scary and dark, but then you start reading into it and there is so much more to her. And I think I might be obsessed now. Um, yeah. Legitimately obsessed. <laughs> She's incredible. Um, incredible. Yeah, I was actually surprised Kaylee didn't fight me for this one because she's also really into New Orleans. I was going to take her for the birthday, but COVID. But I I did just do a whole bunch of research for the Rougarous. So uh, 50 States of Terror just released our Louisiana episode. So it's not that I'm voodooed out by any means, but I thought I would be sharing and caring to my sister and I let you have Marie. Thank you. I appreciate it. Morgan might be cooler, but I mean, I'm biased. (laughs) Yeah, you're definitely biased. (laughs) So yeah, Marie Laveau, just her name alone is powerful. Like I said, it invokes fear and awe. But unlike Morgan, we do know a fair bit about her life and her practices. And they're often very misunderstood. So that's kind of the approach I'm going to take with it today. So let's start with the things we do know. Marie was born in 1801. Though there is some debate, she could have been born as early as 1794. Record keeping was not a forte in the 1800s when it came to women of color. So her mother was a freed slave whose great-grandmother came from Africa. And her father was a multiracial businessman who sold real estate and, ironically enough, slaves. Marie actually was born free, but then went on to have slaves later as well. But Marie's climb to power was mysterious. The more I read about it, I was like, ooh, girl. So let's get into it. Her first husband was Jacques Paris, and he was a carpenter who had immigrated to New Orleans after the Haitian Revolution, which is a lot of how we see voodoo coming to the United States. You have a lot of slaves who are being taken from Africa and come over to the U.S. and or come over to Haiti. There was actually most of the New Orleans population of voodoo practitioners started after the Haitian Revolution and came over. But they carried those beliefs with them. And when they came overseas, they kind of had to dull it down for the white folk. So you kind of see it start mixing with Christianity and a lot of Roman Catholicism, which was strong in New Orleans. But her husband mysteriously disappears without a trace. Uh, as, as one does. As, as one does. As one does, obviously. But Marie starts going by the widow Paris. And to support herself and her kids, because she had a few at the time, she opens a beauty salon, which is... Uh, Very much so brilliant, I think. This was a woman who was like, yeah, I could do witchcraft, but also I'm going to be super smart about this. Mm -hmm. So she opens a salon and everyone knows the widow Paris. So she builds this huge clientele of wealthy and influential Creole women who would come to her looking for advice, spells. She'd hear all the gossip. It was like the hot spot to be if you could afford it. And Marie was super crafty with it. She would blackmail her clients in a heartbeat. She didn't hesitate to rip off white people for services that they asked for at just utterly ridiculous prices. But it is important to note that she did not take a dime from black folks who came to her for magical purposes. 
She visited a lot of prisoners at the time and would do rituals with prisoners completely free of cost prior to execution. She would do a lot of public charity work and she would do that for free. Here's a really good example. So in 1830, this wealthy aristocratic family, we're just going to take your, since we didn't have trigger warnings like you did earlier, dishonored a young girl from a lower class. And the evidence against the man was super strong. Everyone knew he did it. But the father of the young man was super desperate and went to Marie Laveau to enlist her support. And if the witch helped acquit his son, then he promised her a house in the city center. So at the dawn of the day when the trial was supposed to take place, she went to pray at St. Louis's cathedral. A lot of her magic, like I said before, is voodoo that she learned both from her family and from Haitian relatives and then Roman Catholicism, which was really strong at the time. So she went down to pray at the St. Louis Cathedral and she spent several hours at the altar and she had three pods of guinea pepper in her mouth. And later she put those peppers underneath the judge's chair. Well, okay, this is kind of important to put too. The judge at the time, she helped get appointed. But you no know, matter that how might much, be pertinent information. Yeah. I okay. was like, I feel like I have to okay. throw that one in. Just, just throw that one in there. <laughs> let's 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 spice it up a little bit with those peppers and appointing right? judges. That's where I'm like, mm, it's a little biased, but okay. But no matter how much the district attorney called for the conviction of the young man, no matter how much proof he had, no matter how much he appealed it, the judge and the jury were like, meh, looks good to us. We're fine with it. Innocent. And so she gets this giant house in the middle of the city. She then takes on another white husband, but they can't really get married at the time. It's a whole racial thing, I'm assuming, but they couldn't actually get married at the time, but they end up living the rest of their lives together until he passes away later. So she's got a lot of power at this point. She's got this huge house. She's got her own salon and her, her reputation is preceding her well ahead of the time. So the house at St. Anne becomes really important because a lot of, she has three main practice spots that you hear about when you go to New Orleans. And one of those is the house on St. Anne. And she would do a lot of rituals and she would meet people there to discuss their issues, what she could do to help them. There was also Congo Square, which she would do a lot of rituals. And then this one, I'm not sure. I speak French and I'm not even entirely sure how to pronounce this. But um, the main one that a lot of people know her for is Lake Pontchartrain. Pontchartrain. They just say it Pontchartrain. Yeah, I was like, there's got to be an easier way to say that. They just <laughs> say Pontchartrain. Whatever you said, I'm rolling with it. <laughs> um, but French, they would but have... make it dirty. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but at the lake specifically, she would have her king or her representative, and they would do huge rituals, singing, dancing, drumming, spirit possession. And a lot of white folks, even though they don't seem to like colored people or witchcraft, would show up for it. And because of sensationalism, it was a spectacle. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was worth watching. But then, of course, because it's a spectacle, you get all sorts of wild tales afterwards. So her reputation is growing and building. I mean, she did have orgies on the lake. So there's that. <laughs> but, you know, they might have had some things to say that had some validity. But as these rituals are occurring, as she's gaining popularity, more and more people are hearing about her. And of course, her reputation is growing and growing. Of course, she had rivals. A lot of women were would try and come and replace her at one point in time. But she was definitely the reigning voodoo queen and everyone knew it. At one point in time, a Creole woman named Rosalie tried to actually challenge her position. And she placed this huge life-sized wooden doll in her yard that was said to have been imported from Africa. And they covered it with beads, intricate carvings. And 
people started to express fear and respect for her because of it. So this girl steals the statue, steals the whole thing. I don't know how, but she stole the entire freaking statue. And then she was taken to court by Rosalie. And Marie Laveau shows up and she's just like, no, I think we're good. And they were like, you know what? You are good. Get rid of that statue. Go, girl. So she's uncontested. Nobody's touching her. She's got power over the government. She's got power over ritual spaces. Even Catholics and Christians are like, maybe Mm -hmm. she's got a point. Maybe we do like a little voodoo. Just like a sprinkle of voodoo with our Catholicism. Um, She's lighting those uh, saint candles. She's fine. It's good. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the same idea, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, both both African and Haitian, because you see like two distinct types of voodoo. It's basically an overlay of Catholicism. Yeah, while we're on that, actually. So one of the big reasons I was glad that we could talk about Marie Laveau was because there's so much conflict about voodoo. And that was kind of the reason people were so afraid of her is because a lot of people assume that voodoo is like, dark magic black magic they hear tales of hoodoo and they don't know what it means so my mom actually studied voodoo with a few friends from new orleans ironically enough in college and we kind of had some conversations for it i did some research on it and as it turns out voodoo is a lot more spiritual than i think a lot of people expect it to be it's an all-encompassing philosophy it's a medicine it's a fundamental principle that's guided by the descendants of Dahomey which is where the, in West Africa, where voodoo originated from. And it's basically built on the idea of Iwa or spirits, where our Christian God or a Christian God, that idea is viewed as like a creator. And humans and humans who exist on earth are just spirits. And we're supposed to be guiding and honoring through devotional rites that are directed towards that creator. So a lot of voodoo is actually just like pain homage to your creator through your own spiritual practice it really comes down to like your own spiritual practice and it's hard to get too far into it because it's orally passed down it's not something that you're going to go find a book on i mean you could but it's probably wrong um (laughs) you're not going to find a book on a shelf about it it's something that was a ritual activity a ritual based practice that you learned from your own people that you learned from the people that you were practicing with. It's not actually dark or demonic at all. I just think Christians are afraid of orgies, which fine choices, but fine. (laughs) Maybe not all Christians. Let's not, let's not categorize all Christians. I'm sure some Christians are down for orgies. I've heard some sales. If I may, I wanted to touch on two things. Well, you know, I did, but I have ADHD. And so it just flew out because now we're talking about orgies. (laughs) You were talking about, I think that's with all of witchcraft though, I think any sort of, any particular, and I'll call them sects or, or, you know, whether you just want to call them traditions of witchcraft, that there's that kind of, that thread of, oh, it's, it, there's something sinister about it just innately. And the, the thing with, that I like to really preach about, I guess, <laughs> when it comes to witchcraft, voodoo, hoodoo, santeria, you know, any brujeria, anything that you're working with that you want to call your practice, it's, it, it is spiritual. And not everybody practices that way, but the people that I know who have the most luck with manifestation and with actually growing in their shadow work and in their energy work 
are the people who do practice spiritually. I know in some form or another, that doesn't mean deity work that get like we talked about that could be yeah. spiritually just focused on your own energy and your own kind of higher self. But, but I do think that, you know, just because some people may use witchcraft for negative, just like anything else, it just, there's this, like you said, it's this idea that we don't know anything about it and therefore it's scary. Yeah. We don't trust it. That's why I really kind of loved learning about this one in particular is because you hear so much about it, but I always knew it was something that was very culturally sensitive. So I never Mm -hmm. really kind of reached out to it. I just kind of was interested, but didn't really reach too far into it. And the more I did research on this, the more it became the idea that voodoo is less, you know, like your dark, creepy snakes and jars and blood and more of a ritual of initiation in which the body becomes the site of spiritual transformation, which is why they had all sorts of that you would have spirit possessions, you would have that's why they had orgies is because your body yourself was becoming a site of spiritual transformation. And I think that's really cool. And they didn't really mind mixing the two cultures at all. They didn't mind bringing Christianity or Catholicism in Mm -hmm. because the idea that the spirit moves you and that you reach your magic through your spirit is something that could be connected to different religions. Absolutely. And that's why there are, there are Catholic witches there. I mean, and that's something that somebody just mentioned, uh, Anthony Diaz. I wonder if it's linked to Bruja or Brujeria, I'm sure. Yeah. Catholic ties because a lot of Brujeria and Santeria, I know does have those Catholic ties because like you said, it's an oral tradition. And whenever you have had Catholicism and Christianity being mixed into these cultures and you had oppressors who were basically saying, Hey, you have to see everything through this, through this guise and through this filter of Christianity or Catholicism, you know, over, uh, after a while, that obviously is going to turn into, into part of the culture if there's no way out of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I know a lot of people who do practice like Brujeria, Santeria, um, Voodoo, Hoodoo, who are very spiritual with their Catholicism as well as their practice. And they don't see them as opposing. They see them as tools that can complement one another, you know, as spiritual practices that complement one another. If Catholicism is what is harnessing and and tapping into that energy, like we said, whatever you put on your altar, if it's, you know, (laughs) um, you know, Mary or Betty White, as long as it's working for you and your energy and your mind and putting you in the right place for your practice, that's, that's what matters. I could definitely see it linking to Brewerie just because of just geographically speaking, you have these huge Catholic influences coming up. You have all these different immigrations moving forward as revolutions are coming. It makes sense that they would cross at some point in time, the same way we see pantheons like Morgan Le Fay cross over. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I could definitely see it. Does and that mean I we want... want some history nerdy time now. All right, Queen, get it. Okay, okay, cool. So Louisiana. So we discussed that we're bringing things in from Haiti. We're bringing things in from Africa. We're also bringing in a lot of that French influence. So yes, of course, the French did have Louisiana, but we also have the Acadians who were forced south from Canada that settled in the Cajun area or the swamps and the bayous and everything like that. Now, there's something that's very interesting that happens in the same period of time. First of all, France had it and then gave it to Spain, and then did take Spaxies, and took it back from Spain again before selling it to the U.S. So how did that affect the slave trade here? Because that's come up a couple times. And I want to touch base. First of all, I do want to obviously do the disclaimer that all slavery is bad slavery, but Spanish slavery was considerably less bad than French slavery, because when the Spanish were actually taking over before France took it again, they allowed the slaves to go to church. 
They were allowed to own property. They were allowed to buy themselves back. It was more of like indentured servitude there. So by no means am I saying it's great at all. I'm obviously not the authority to speak on that. But what it did was it allowed these people to really form what became what we know as voodoo today. Now, there's another interesting aspect that happens. And I know that you mentioned the Haitian Revolt, where Mm -hmm. it was the first time that the slaves were able to overthrow the slave owners. And that is what abolished slavery at that time in Haiti. What happened was a lot of the slave owners that were in the South in this area were like, oh, that's because we're bringing bad blood in. So they shut down importing slaves to this area. So that had a couple of effects on the way that voodoo continued to develop. Because first of all, you're not getting new influences anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, what is already rooted is now growing. We also, instead of being able to import at that point, what happened is the northern stage, which might be contrary to what you initially think would happen, the north started having their slaves have children, and then they were moving those slaves south. So now we're seeing a circulation of how people are being moved around and being trafficked through the U.S. So I just say all of that to say that there was a very distinct point in New Orleans history when that transition of ownership of the state and the property before obviously it was a a formal state at that point really developed how voodoo got to put its roots in how it got to flourish and why those different things were really able to overlay each other and really start to develop how Catholicism and those original religions start to to mix and mingle but I had that burning and I was like waiting for a time to jump in and say it. So no, I'm glad you did. I think it's really important because I think that's part of what made Marie Laveau so powerful was she was a free woman of color. And at the time, that's still kind of a new thing we're all feeling out for them. And she owns her own business. She owns Mm -hmm. property. She has power. She has influence. People come for her and she's like, nay, nay, not today. Like Mm -hmm. she's got it. She's not taking no for an answer, regardless of her race and gender. To be honest, women weren't considered Mm -hmm. any higher at the time than slaves either. Really. It just depends on what your class was. But I also think that's kind of what made Marie Laveau exceptional. And this is where I'm kind of tying all of her history back. So we've talked about kind of how, how she grew up, her businesses, how she held on to her own power. The part that really drew me to her that I really, really like is even though white people feared her, she was an herbalist. She was a healer. She was a community activist. At one point in time, and this was the big story that I really couldn't wait to talk about, the Howard Association organized a bunch of women to come help with a disease that was spreading across the South. And Laveau and other women used combinations of massage, hydration, herbal roots that they brought from their own cultures like elderberry bark snake root, acacia, sage, hemp, and they would use these herbs to bring down fevers, ease vomiting, clear their lungs, and they weren't charging for it. They weren't safe. She never once got sick. She saved thousands of lives. And the herbs that they used then now actually are used in real medicine. Things like elderberry bark, people do use in legitimate medicine. Now, my my husband's a chemist, so I'm never going to say, like, don't trust science, just use herbs. But... It did become beneficial and it did save thousands of lives at the time. So she was highly successful as a nurse. And when she did get to the point of her death, all these wonderful stories about how she had saved people from yellow fever and the cholera epidemics, she inspired nurses forever. She was a healer and she was something to look 
look up to. She was she owned her power. People feared her and loved her. And then she saved a bunch of freaking lives. Can I actually bounce off of that going on to her benevolence, just as we're speaking about that. One of the biggest influences that I found whenever I was researching her stories to work on a a card dedicated to her for our, for our business was, you know, I wanted to figure out what card would fit for her the best, because I mean, at this point, you know, I didn't plan on using her for this deck until towards the very end when I was reading about her and realized, oh, she fits. The justice card is what we used her for. And so one of the main reasons for that was because of the fact that she did have such a high standing in her community, not just within the Black community, but within the entire New Orleans community and surrounding area. Like you said, she helped get judges appointed. She had pull when it came to actual um, prisoners and their sentencing. Mm-hmm. And so not only was she known to help some people, if she, you know, if you had garnered favor with her, lifted their sentences or or whatever to get them free from whatever turmoil they were in with the, with the judge at the time. But she was also known to go to prisoners who were on death row and pray with them and actually cook their last meal. Mm-hmm. And I wonder there has been talk of potentially if she liked you, but she couldn't get your, but maybe you, maybe you really did do what you did. And like, she couldn't really either chose not to, or couldn't help you get out of death row. Sometimes she might sprinkle a little something in your tea with your last meal. Wait, you I know, know what that thing is. So when you're done, I'll talk about that, what that one <laughs> okay, thing is. Good. Cause I know like, what I it feel is. Like we all have something now. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, yes. yes, I love it. I love it. Well, and she's just so incredibly inspiring. And I think that's something that I love about both her and Morgan Le Fay, which is one of the reasons why I'm glad that we got to speak about so drastically different people uh, in one episode, but I love both of them because they do automatically garner such reverence and fear from people specifically from women um but you know from people uh, but it's but as soon as you delve a little bit deeper into who they were and what led to them being so you know able to be that powerful and needing to, to take control of their own power and needing to be that powerful presence in the in the face of men and and all of that when you see all of that and you see how helpful they were in their community and to the people that actually again garnered their favor that's what I love about them. They're not just evil. They're not like, they're not these creatures that, you know, come out at night and, and stalk their prey. They're, they are powerful women who society wasn't able to fully appreciate necessarily at the time uh, for without fear being involved, but who'd absolutely, I think, also deserve our respect and, and understand how benevolent they could be. So one of my favorite Marie stories um, is actually having to do with the men that were in prison and not so much the ones that she couldn't get help for, but the ones that are, I mean, maybe I should rephrase, not the ones that she knew were guilty or thought were guilty, but for the ones that she knew weren't guilty. So specifically, we were talking about poor young black men that were falsely accused or for whatever reason were in there. She was rumored to have given them something in their tea and that something was puffer fish mm-hmm. extract and it's called tetradoxin. And that is actually what's used for zombification when people talk about Haitian rituals where they create like living zombies. So basically it's it is like the inhibitor, right? I'm sorry. It's a neuro inhibitor, right? Girl, did you just Google that? 
No, I actually knew okay, that I'm one. Just kidding. I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be like the Romeo and Juliet kind of vial. So it's mm-hmm. going to slow your breathing. It's going to make you look all but dead. And then shortly after, be like, oh, you know, I fed him his meal. And then he died, so we're going to have to go bury him. Okay, well, I'm going to go do the rites because, you know, I was taking care of him, and that's that's how that's going to go. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go out, and then they would dig him up, and then he would be able to flee on his way. So that I don't have any confirmation that that is a true story, but with either one of these women, really the stories are what they are. So that was mm-hmm. one of my favorite ones. I was like, oh, dang, girl, because it comes from the right area. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're talking that all of these are going to be coming from the islands that – a lot of our voodoo rituals are coming from. I was like, okay. okay. Marie's daughter, uh, Philomene, actually went on the record later and said something about how she swears that the only things she did in that room were Catholic. But I don't buy it. <laughs> no. Catholics do a lot of things that they shouldn't do either. So I was like, as I mean, they could. were Catholic, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, but I, I guess I did look into the idea of what you could do to honor Marie Laveau, people do leave offerings at her gravesite still. It's said that young women will run there in the night and then they'll find the love of their lives. And people leave beads and skulls and flowers. And I've never been there, but I know it's on the list <laughs> of places that I would love to see at some point in time. But when I thought about it and how you would honor her specifically, it's kind of like Morgan Lefay, where you're like, but would you or would you just own that? And I think the best when I was writing this out, when I was thinking about how I really wanted to present her, I just want to say thanks to all the Marie Laveaux who are working in healthcare and are working their magic during the pandemic and against all odds with no help and battling all the superstitions from the modern world. That to me is like the best way to honor it. Go thank a nurse, go buy him a coffee. Exactly. That's just me. I know yeah. I'm supposed to give witchy answers, but like, <laughs> I truly love that she was incredibly mortal bound. And I love, mm-hmm. Shana, that you she used was. her for your your justice card because my favorite spell is actually a justice spell that my mom taught me from new orleans wow that's amazing i love that on that note (laughs) it's like small note like that's awesome (laughs) we do have some of the promotional material so i know at the very top of the episode the top of the stream you were telling us a little bit about some things that you have going on so i do have some slides and uh, i can go ahead and pull those up you'll still be able to see all of us But if you're ready, I can start clicking through some of those and you can tell us about what we see. Yeah, Yeah, I want to know all about them. They're so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But this is our Terror Tarot Major Arcana deck that is available both in color and in our shadow edition of the deck, which is black and white. Um, So they are both just Major Arcana. We are going to be working on the Minor Arcana within the next few years. As I said, though, we are a very independent little company of just two people and another um, artist who works with us on each of these designs. And so it takes quite a while. <laughs> but <laughs> if you like these decks and you're interested in them and you know that later you will also want the full deck, we will be offering actual discounts for you. If you can prove and verify that you did buy it from one of our very many stores, <laughs> you can find <laughs> it all over, then I will send you a discount. We'll have a discount code for you later whenever the full deck does arrive so that you can actually enjoy this deck now without feeling worried about the guilt of paying for it again later. So I hope that helps. <laughs> but this picture here is our shadow edition of the deck. It is in black and white. And this one comes with an extra bonus card, a 23rd Ooh. card, which is going to be a bonus version of the world. You can kind of see it in the top left corner. So our original, the world is Jekyll and Hyde, which was a really fun and interesting okay. take on that one because we had them kind of going through this portal of the potion. Mm -hmm. And so for the revamp, the bonus card for the shadow edition, which was our 
it was, I believe, a year, I think it was two years after we released the original deck that we came out with this one. The, the new one has an additional The World, but this time it is a spooky Victorian ghost who's like oh. coming through a mirror and calling <laughs> toward her. So I oh, love that I love card. That. I love that. I'm glad you're explaining this all now because I told Kaylee I was going to buy a deck for my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Your birthday was last week. I should have ordered you one ahead of time. Oh my gosh. Happy belated birthday. Yeah, but no, we ha- we actually have all of these available as well on Etsy. So we sell on Etsy, eBay, Amazon. You can get all of them there. The shadow edition of the deck is available on sale on Amazon. If I recall correctly, it's like $10 off right now, only on Amazon. So okay. definitely check out my links for that. But the think- on... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. <laughs> on Etsy, we have it to where you can buy the full collection of both of the decks if you want both the color and the black and white, since they are different. Um, a lot of collectors like to just keep both on the shelf, depending on what day, you know, what day you're, are you feeling oh, a little yeah. darker, you'll go with the with the black and white. But anyway, they are they are together as a collection on Etsy as well. You can also get the collection with their court matching sticker packs. So we oh. have sticker packs that you can get with them. And if you want Kaylee to see and I the just artwork, jaw drops. I know I love stickers. If you want I to just see stickers. the artwork and you don't want to buy the deck yet, you can, you know, if you just want to look at the artwork up, up close before you purchase the deck, that's a great way to do it is buy one of the well, sticker packs. I don't know how to read little... cards, but I do know how to use a sticker. <laughs> yeah. So maybe Lauren, okay, Lauren, you order it and you send me the stickers. Okay. No. Like, and then I'll order mine later no. and then I'll send you, I like okay. stickers. You too. know what? It was, it was worth trying. <laughs> okay. So I think the final slide that I have are actually going to be the cards that inspired our episode today. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and, and I have a up. lot to say. Awesome. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about, about these cards. Gorgeous. So I'm going to start with Morgan Le Fay, since that's the one we started with, mm-hmm. essentially. So we chose her for the Hierophant. And if you don't know Tarot, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. So the Hierophant is one of my favorite cards because it's all about understanding that higher self. It is about being, it, basically this character in the Tarot for me is someone who has achieved the highest sense of understanding their super consciousness over their ego self. Okay. And so one of the reasons that we chose Morgan Le Fay for this was because she was so incredibly adept at understanding her own power and then at using her power, not only for her own, you know, cause, but really focusing on this story for this card on her kingdom of Avalon, where she was the queen, where she had knights who actively fought for her and she provided for her community to be safe and fed and and to thrive. And she was known again for her benevolence within that community. So yes, we know her a lot from Arthurian legend of being this very powerful sorceress who could absolutely just fell any man that she wants to, (laughs) any Mm -hmm. person that she wants to, you know, I mean, she's incredibly powerful, but that's why we included in here that she's you know on a throne and she has the light coming through the window. And I like this particularly because the window, if you look, has ironwork that creates a pentacle. Um, and so when you see it on the floor, it's an inverted pentacle. This is supposed to show that who she is and the framework of who she is un- often was under misunderstood through a different light. I just got chills. I don't get chills, like, but what? I did just get chills. Like I was like, ooh, okay, girl. I really I appreciate love that. that. And because here I was looking at her outfit because I was yeah, like, well, oh, she's girl. impeccable. She's so hot, but she has sensible <laughs> shoes on. But sensible she's got shit shoes. to do. I, I literally, her dress has pockets. I started, oh, yeah, I started trying to find heels for her to wear and I was like, 
No. First of all, history. Second of all, she's grounding herself. Like I mm-hmm. just feel like she she doesn't need heels, honey. Cause and I say this because I don't wear heels because I hate heels and I'm also a thick girl. And you see those thighs, she's thick girl. Okay. So <laughs> I was there was a little uh self-representation in this one, but she she's incredibly powerful. And I just I really appreciated seeing seeing this finished product because she does to me, she's this, it screams kind of that you were talking about the underworld colors and the darkness mm-hmm. and all of that. But at the same time, when you really look forward and a little further beyond that veil, which is very mm-hmm. hierophant, you look beyond the veil to see your truth. Mm-hmm. You see the knights who are willingly kneeling before her. They are willingly at her feet, ready for her command. And so just this card, I I could talk about it for hours. I love it. I love Morgan Le Fay. And she was obviously just such a powerful inspiration for the Hierophants. But I want to move forward. Unless you have any questions about Morgan Le Fay, does anybody have any questions? I'm just hardcore <laughs> obsessing. <That's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I'm just like, um, I'm getting that dress. <laughs> I know I'm obsessed with it. I'm too. surprised you don't already have it, to be honest. I've seen your closet. <laughs> I, I love the hood, like the and the you, her hair looks like she's like you know the the magic is moving it, and she's just mm-hmm. kind of even though she's sitting on her throne, she's also kind of floating. I just oh, I'm obsessed with her. Yes. All right. So the next card, of course, is oh, were you going to say something? Oh no, I was just gonna I was just gonna lead into it because I love the stark difference between we have these very smooth textures and like these colors that we have in the Hierophant. And then when we go to Justice, it is very New Orleans. And even like the brushstroke difference in the background and the complete like abstract, just the art difference between the two of them was all I was going to say that I really enjoyed that. I really, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you like that because that is something, you know, there is one particular artist who is a huge, huge artist in New Orleans. And I, I look him up. He is incredible. He is a young black man and just absolutely one of the most incredible artists that I have seen in our time. His name is Terrence Osborne. And a lot of his art or most of his art that I've seen is very much in this kind of impressionistic style. And you can see it everywhere when you go to New Orleans. It's not just, he's not, he's by far not the only artist who does this style, but he does it so impeccably well that I just, I found such inspiration from his work. And I really wanted to kind of honor him and his place in New Orleans art now with Marie Laveau and and her place in the culture and art from the 1800s on. And so it was really fun to find the juxtaposition between his colorful, bright, vivid, like I said, impressionist work with somebody who is so incredibly powerful. And that's something that we love about this card is because we have those impressionistic like strokes in the background, everything's kind of a blur. When you see her amongst the color, she stands out. Even though there's so much happening around her, she stands tall and firm. And she has her power and her elegance despite all of that. She is the queen of this card, obviously. And and she holds her own despite everything else that's going on behind her. I love impressionism. I've done a lot. I've gone to a lot of Denver art exhibits for impressionism. And I obviously love French culture a bunch. But very rarely do you see impressionism done with such vivid colors. Renoir didn't do that. Like it's very, mm-hmm. very. Eye-pitting. And again, it's I have to give drunk. the credit for that inspiration to Terrence Osborne. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, and I wanted to go ahead and if you look at her specifically, let's look at some of the symbolism. So obviously we chose the the setting is New Orleans. You're looking down the street. There's a saxophone player behind her. It We wanted it to feel like a Mardi Gras celebration without a modern Mardi Gras feel, you know, it's very much just kind of 
when I look at the scene, I hear the saxophone. I hear, if you see on the street, the street is is wet. You know, it's reflecting the light. It's just had a New Orleans rain. And, you know, if you go to New Orleans, then you're going to see puddles everywhere because it's always raining down here. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, there's just constantly, there's some sort of water in the street. And just, I really appreciate how that it's so beautiful when the, when it reflects the lights and the neon and all this other stuff. And of course we wouldn't have neon in this picture, but that's where the colors come in. Is, it's the is magic. Reflection. The magic it's is the, the magic. neon. Exactly. And so if you look at her, first thing I want to show is that of course she's got her hair covered and we have a magnolia in her hair. So the, the point of that was a lot of times she's depicted with a white hair covering. I didn't want to give her that because I really wanted to focus on the magnolia, which is a flower um, that's really important to New Orleans and Louisiana culture, a white magnolia, which symbolizes purity. And so basically this is a reminder that she helps to deliver outcomes to actions, if that makes sense, what we were mm -hmm. talking about with the justice. Mm -hmm. She had a sense of justice that was all her own. It wasn't just beholden to what the law said, right? It was really very much based on her own ideas of who was innocent and who was maybe being wrongly accused. And like you said, with the with that particular anecdote of the one of the man that she helped mm -hmm. escape. I mean, she just very much had a, had her own sense of purity. And I appreciated that, like she's adorning herself with that. And then of course, she's got the parasol because that gives us the, it's very New Orleans. It's very Mardi Gras. <laughs> and she's, you know, shielding herself, but that's also kind of her sword. If you know, the justice card typically has a sword. Um, and that's kind of her, that's her sword. That's what she's holding there. And then she's also holding a mask. It's a Mardi Gras mask, but it's kind of hard to tell, which is why I want to make sure I tell you about it. This mask doesn't have eyes cut out. So if she were to put this mask oh. on, it would essentially be a blindfold. And the point of that is that justice is blind. And so she she's always got that ready to to dawn and ready to to dole out justice essentially. And then finally she's got she's wearing a little chatelaine, which a lot of people don't know what that is, but it's kind of like it was like you know the Victorian tool belt for women mm -hmm. um, because they didn't have pockets. They didn't you know you weren't carrying your your purse around. I don't know if you've ever watched Downton Abbey. Oh yeah. Any yes, other girl. of you? Okay. So Mrs. <laughs> Hughes, thank you. Mrs. Hughes is the housekeeper on Downton mm -hmm. Abbey, and if you notice which I never noticed until I knew what a chatelain was. But if you notice, she wears one and it looks like a little brooch, probably about this, this mm -hmm. big. And it's on the waistband of a lady's dress. And then coming off of it will be multiple little chains that uh, to which you can attach things. So you might have a coin purse. You might have a little pair mm -hmm. of, of thread scissors if you're sewing a lot or, you know, whatever you want to put on there, essentially, like I said, a tool belt for ladies in the Victorian era. And so what she's carrying is she has a, a little satchel with a, with a spell in it. She has the skull of a beloved cat, and she's also got a voodoo doll. So she's carrying with her the tricks of her trade, you know, along the streets of New Orleans. And I, again, I just absolutely love this card. It is, I think, I, I think one of my favorite designs we've ever created because of the vibrance vibrancy and just what it means to me and for her and I never I never see Marie Laveau in such a bright setting and I wasn't planning on putting her in such a bright setting I thought we would have her inside a parlor room and it would be dark and moody and I, that's what I was planning on but this developed and when art tells you what it wants to be then you just have to go with it <laughs> I love it now like just being able to see the parasol as the sword just changes mm -hmm. the whole game I love it it's gorgeous Thank you. I'm so glad. I'm glad to be able to share it with y'all, especially after everything yeah. we've talked about. It's 
these are so meaningful to me. And so to be able to share it with you like this, has been such a joy. Thank you for the opportunity. So uh, we'll see you next week with two more cards. No, I'm just kidding. I'm down. Okay. You're welcome to come back anytime. (laughs) Please. I would be more than happy. Anytime you're willing to have me, I'm very happy to be on your show. Well, if you ever want to talk monsters. Oh, honey, yes. We have have a monster podcast. So Housecraft is our network. So this is the witching hour. But we also have uh, Lou has her own project that she works on which is camp dreadwood Mm -hmm. which is a true crime focused and then my husband anthony diaz he was actually the one in the chat earlier uh talking about uh the bruja uh we do a a cryptid based podcast where we go through the united states and talk about different crypt uh cryptids i can talk about (laughs) my own i can talk about my own podcast um (laughs) so yeah if you ever want to do that like i'm i'm more than happy to have you over with us as well I would love that. Please. Yeah. We'll talk afterward and set something up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, I'm just so grateful that you came and I'm so glad to see your interpretation and your art and really bring this series to like, I'm going on summer break after this. I'm taking some time off. Good for you. (laughs) I'm tired, but I'm so glad to just like end on such an amazing note. I never expected that I would interview Shanna Stoker. So heck yeah. And then as two women who started our own small business and are doing the thing, it's awesome to have another businesswoman who's also working that spooky lion in. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm so excited for all of us and see where it goes. Heck yeah. So that being said, even though it is the end of the season, we're still going to be going strong over the break on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash housecraft official, where we'll be doing possible tarot readings now if I order this deck and um, resuming coffee and curse words every Sunday at 11. So if you go to our link tree at housecraft official, you can still sign up for our free monthly newsletter. You can sign up for Patreon and keep up with all of our shenanigans. Shenanigans. Sorry. Sorry, you can't say shenanigans with at least one person saying shenanigans. I always try not to say it, but then it just pops out. <laughs> that was also my Instagram name for a long time. Shenanigans, Shanna. Oh my God. I can never mess with you. I'm going to be like, hey, shenanigan. It. Oh my God. That's fine. It works. I'm down. I'll answer. It's so perfect. <laughs> well, I've had such a great time learning and growing with everyone. Thank you, Seaster, as always, for joining me. (laughs) I'm always excited to join. Like, it's always, it's always, I know it's different than what I normally talk about, but that's what makes it exciting, kind of getting outside of my bubble and getting outside of, you know, like my safe little barriers. I think Morgan Le Fay would have approved today. So uh, thank you for having me again. Yes. And then, of course, the enchanting Shanna Stoker for bringing her beautiful art and talents and perspectives (laughs) to the table. So thank you so much for having me. I've had such a blast and you two are such a joy to talk to. So I look forward to doing doing it again. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have less Red Bull next time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have. No, no, I shouldn't. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, everyone. Love you. See you in the fall.